Hey guys, welcome to the Cultivate and Keep podcast. I'm Jeremy with my co-host Corey, and this is where we talk about what we're learning, what we are studying in the Bible, and what is new in our business. And today we have a uh, really fun guest we are excited about, and Corey, I'll let you welcome him. Yeah, so today's guest is Mike Van Meter, Mr. MVM himself. Mike, how you doing? Strong. <laughs> Strong. I love here. it. I if you if you can only imagine Mike's signature move is the uh, the, fist the fist near the chest. And yes. so strong, I just feel like it perfectly uh, epitomizes that. It doesn't translate that well to radio. No, mm-hmm. it, it really doesn't. Audio. But we're super stoked to have you here. Uh, just as a, a quick reminder, we're basically uh, the next few months experimenting with a new format. And so bi-weekly, it'll be Jeremy and I. And then the other week, it'll be with uh, a smart, thoughtful guest like Mr. Mike here. Um, and so basically, again, it's, it's the same prompt. So what we're learning, what we're studying in our Bible, uh, what's new in our work and our businesses. And so basically, we're just going to open up the floor to Mike to pick his brain on all things related to that. We also have some questions for him as well, just based on our own kind of curiosity. Um, but here, you kind of get the behind the scenes look into uh, what's top of mind for Mike right now. And I think he's a smart guy. So hopefully, we'll be able to peel back the onion a bit and get some interesting things. Um, am I forgetting anything? Or? No, that's it. Um, before we get into those three prompts, maybe like having Mike start with brief testimony of who he is and how he became yeah. Mike Van Meter. Today. Doesn't have to be like the thirty-second version, but you know, it could be like the two, three, four-minute version, gotcha. or longer even. Just yeah. who is Mike? Well, um, I am a pastor on staff at Foothills Church, and uh, I've been a youth pastor for almost twenty years now. So. Um, I think both of you guys were in the junior high ministry when um, uh, you might have come along a little bit later. Corey, I came right? in, in in high school. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm going to jump in already. Okay. So I have a memory with Mike. Um, <laughs> I remember Gina, I was really close with Caleb Hoffman. And at the time, John was doing high school, right? And you were doing junior high. Okay. I remember Gina having a big problem with Mike saying the word freaking a lot. I don't know if you remember that. Um, and I remember being at a junior high group like a big group like 400 kids and there was some kid in the front like you know being stupid and like talking and mike gave him a few warnings and at one point in front of everyone mike's like hey dude you yeah you stand up and kid stands up and he's like why are you being a freaking idiot in front of everyone (laughs) and you said the kid to the very back i remember uh like going home to caleb's house that night and he was like mom like mike did this and it was really funny that was like before i knew who you were that's so funny because uh, gina and i have had that conversation several times i didn't know that anybody else knew about it but um, yeah, it, uh, she's probably right. You know, like, um, I, I think, uh, I probably would do it different today, I guess. You would, you would take that moment back. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, there's a couple of things, but yeah, I, 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 there's some things I would point out, but, um, in there that I did wrong, but, uh, this young Mike, she's probably right. Anyway, continue. I'm sorry. Well, now you have 20 years of wisdom, right? Yeah, well, at that, I mean, how long ago? In mistakes. 25? <laughs> yeah. yeah both 25. Going back like 12 years. Yeah. 13 years. Um, so anyways, I grew up in San Diego. Um, my, uh, I have two younger brothers and older sister, um, lived here in San Diego pretty much my whole life. And, um, you know, kind of had an interesting childhood in the sense that, that it was my, my home was a little dysfunctional. My dad was a drug addict and alcoholic. And, um, he kind of came out of, a, a a life where his dad had died in a drunk driving accident when he was six years old. And, and, um, so he was kind of poorly equipped for fatherhood and, 
and just leading a family and, and he had struggled with addiction and, and alcoholism my entire life. And my mom, you know, tried to really just hold the family together. She was kind of the more stable dependent one. She had two jobs and worked really hard. And so, I mean, kind of, we just had like a lot of time, a lot of, uh, um, unsupervised time in our lives, you know, just kind of trying to keep our heads afloat a little bit. And so, um, but I, I grew up, um, going to church. Uh, we were, I was a big part of youth group was a big part of my life growing up. Um, but it was at a, it was at a mainline denominational church. So it was a Presbyterian USA church, so kind of a liberal denomination. And, and, um, I, I knew very little about Jesus. I knew very little about having a relationship with Jesus. I knew very little about the gospel. Um, and it was kind of just a, almost like a social club kind of a place you go to, to, um, you're a good person. So you go to church, kind of that kind of environment. And so, um, you know, as I kind of got older, that got challenged more and that was, um, it, you know, my faith or lack thereof, um, didn't really, couldn't really stand up to, you know, some of the things you encounter, some of the challenges of just high school life. And, and so, you know, I, I stopped going to church at some point and then, um, coming out of that, I moved to Hawaii for a little bit with some friends. I moved back and I got a job working at Nordstrom when I was 19. And, um, I had a boss there who invited me to come to church. And so I, I said, yes, I, you know, I'd grown up going to church. I wasn't afraid of it. And, and coming into foothills, I remember was a very weird experience. Like, um, I grew up in a church with pews and hymnals and stained glass. And this is a church that meets in a warehouse and there's like, people wearing t-shirts and looks like there might be some homeless people that are here and just like a very different experience. People are very demonstrative in worship and kind of all this stuff. So it felt weird, but there felt like something that was right about it. And, um, and just through a series of, of things, I just, over the process of the next nine months, I just kind of kept coming. My life was very, sim- very much the same as it had been before. I was living in a house with my best friends, kind of living that, you know, 19, 20 year old life. And, had a girlfriend and, and all this kind of stuff. But, um, there was something that kept bringing me, calling me back to, to church and coming to church. And just slowly over that time, God just started to kind of reveal to me that, um, if I was going to live for him, I needed to surrender myself to him and my life needed to look different. And so that's kind of what happened. I, um, I gave my life to the Lord. And then in a span of just a really short amount of time, like a month, just kind of everything changed. I kind of um, I broke up with my girlfriend cause I, I told her I needed to follow God and, um, I moved out of my roommate's house. I knew that wasn't going to be a real conducive situation to following Jesus. And, and, um, I quit my job cause there was just some things associated with that, that, that weren't good for me. And, um, and it just was like a season of like giving my life to the Lord. And so I did that. I started to get kind of get serving at the church and, and, and building relationships there. I didn't know anybody, but I started to slowly over time, make friends I became a home group pastor, a small group pastor, and, and I still lead that home group to the, you guys actually go to my home group. So Corey kind of, yeah, Corey, kind I'm of. a floater. I'm, I'm a lurker. <laughs> so that was like 22 years ago that I started and we've been, I've been doing home group that entire time. And, wow. and then, um, this year, 2021 will be 21 years on staff at church. And so, um, so I, I came on staff as, as like kind of a, a glorified youth intern and then became you know, youth pastor and now kind of an associate pastor. I do some preaching and teaching and, and work in different ministries and stuff. So, um, when, so you started as like a, an intern, yeah. uh, but how quickly did you become the, the junior high pastor? Well, just if foothills, it's probably different back then. I'm guessing too. Were you the first junior high pastor? 
Yeah, we yeah. The, so at the time when I took over, John Hoffman was the pastor over the youth ministry, youth, yeah. mm. and um, but we were we had a big dynamic youth ministry, and it was a big job. And I think he kind of recognized he was looking for someone to take over the junior high part so he could focus on the high school, and um, and so that was kind of a couple years process of me learning because I'd never worked with junior high ministry when I first started. I'd volunteered only with high schoolers, and I, I remember when they said when I came on staff, they said we want you to focus on junior high ministry, and I was like. Oh, that's lame. Like, what are we just going to sit around and play games and patty cake or something? I was really bummed out about it. And I did junior high ministry for, you know, maybe a couple months. And they needed some help with a high school ministry thing. So I went back and helped with high school ministry. I just remember thinking, I hate these kids so much. <laughs> junior high ministry is so much better. Because um, high school kids just, you know. Too cool. Yeah. And junior hires, it's like, you know, give them a noogie and remember their name. And they your best friends, you know. And in high school, it's like you give them a hundred bucks, and they're like, "This is lame. You're stupid." <laughs> so I remember, I remember just really wanting to. Um, I remember really enjoying junior high ministry, and and then so I worked with John's kind of like John until he left to start his church. Um, he was over me, and he was my boss. Um, I was under him, but I probably ran the junior high ministry mostly after the first few years, taking over. Cool. Yeah. Hmm. And since then, um, I got married. I'm, I'm 42 now, so I got married when I was uh, 32. We're going to have a 10-year anniversary this year. God's given us Congrats. five little kids. Thank you. And, um, yeah. I got one random, super random story I just thought of. Uh, there was a season where Mr. Mike was dating my sister, Joanna. And uh, I think I was 12, 11, maybe younger, junior high, right? Um, but there was a night where, where, uh, I think Joanna was living at home during this, right? So there was a night where I believe you guys were having like a date at home. I'm pretty sure like everyone was gone and it was like Mike and Joanna like make dinner together, like whatever, have fun. And me and Caleb thought it'd be funny to set up a, uh, video recorder to record (laughs) their night, which we did by the way, we like stashed it in like the bookshelf. Um, and I don't remember what happened if we ever even watched it, but I think it was funny as a like, little kid, you know. Oh, that's so creepy! So, I can't even. I might have that. some dirt on Mike. You never know. Oh uh, man. So hey, uh, play it cool, Mike. Or right. honorable dude, I can say <laughs> I, uh, your sister's great. Her and my wife are friends. Right, just and, making sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure you don't have any dirt. So. All right. <laughs> Jeremy's trying to dig up all the. Uh, all I just the, thought of that. I totally the skeletons forgot, in the closet, man. When he was talking, I'm like, wait, you dated Joanna? Like, it came up. Yeah. That's so funny. Well, one of the things that um that I was curious about was uh, you went straight from Nordstrom and you were about 19, 20. And then what was it like then going to like newly Christian then to intern? Uh, and like, was there a question about like, I don't know your career aspirations or like, do I want to do this for a living? Yeah, it didn't go exactly like that. So um, I, I was, so I had left Nordstrom. I was working for Saxon Avenue. So I was a, I was working in loss prevention and security and doing that kind of stuff. And, catching shoplifters and whatever. And so I knew that like, for whatever reason, that kind of high fashion, a lot of young people working there, it's kind of like everybody party together. I just, it was a bad environment. It wasn't something that I felt like the Lord wanted me in. And so I quit, but I actually went to work for Hunter Insurance. So it was a insurance oh. company that sells, ins- uh, you know, contractors insurance basically specializes in that. And, um, and for a long time I, I thought like, oh, like that's what I'll do. And I'll do ministry as like, just I'll just be a lay leader in the church. And I could fund a lot of things. And, you know, it's, it's kind of easy. Not maybe not easy, but there's a lot of guys who make decent money doing that. And it seemed like you could make good money. And um, and I, I don't remember how long I worked there for. It was probably a year, maybe less than a year. And um, and it just was clear that that wasn't that wasn't going to work out. Like it, it wasn't a, it wasn't the right job for me. It wasn't a great situation. And and um, 
And so, it, and I just, my heart was towards ministry. And so, um, so, so that was kind of my, I didn't come out of high school or like that early part of my life with like a ton of like goals or vision for like what I wanted to do. I was all, it was all kind of stuff like, oh, maybe a police officer, or maybe I'd do this, or maybe do that. Um, and, um, and it wasn't until ministry that it felt like, I feel like this is actually something that I would like to invest my life into. Like hmm. that I felt like a real calling or I felt like, a, um, you know, this is something that I should do really. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, I had, uh, the honor, the opportunity to be an intern for almost two years. Yeah. And that was sort of my exploration too, of like, could I see myself doing this? And could I see, you know, this being like a career and a vocation rather than just sort of. Uh, a phase or a stage in my life um, or even you know, a hobby sort of as a ministry and sort of came on the other side of that being like, I don't really see myself doing this yeah. long term or in a, you know, uh, pastoral capacity uh, eventually. So that's interesting that you had that um, yeah. sort of revelation. And I remember Dave said something a long time ago, one of our pastors that stuck with me, he said, if you can do something else, you should. And, um, and, and what he meant was, is there's just a lot of, kind of unique challenges or difficulties with ministry as a, as a vocation. Um, that if you're, if you don't, if you're not convinced that God has really called you to this specifically, it's actually something you should go do something else because mm -hmm. there's going to be so many opportunities along the way of failure and of where you're going to want to quit and want to give up. And if, if you quit or give up at some place, like, like, let's say you became a pastor in 10, 15 years from now, you just decided I don't want to do that. There's so many chances that that could go really bad and hurt a lot of people that it'd be better if you could figure that out at year two than yeah. year 20, you know? And, um, and so that always stuck with me, but I, I did feel like God had called me. And so, you know, all through my twenties, I, I think I started working at church must've been when I was 22 and, um, and I didn't make any money through my twenties. I didn't, you know, it was kind of like. It, it, all my friends were like getting careers and buying houses and like all this kind of stuff. And, and, um, and I just always kind of had confidence that God, you're calling me to this. And now, you know, thank God I can provide for my family and, and my wife doesn't work. She's able to raise our kids. I mean, there's all kinds of things that I feel like we're really blessed and, and lucky, but it wasn't without, you know, kind of some challenges along the way. So, yeah. I mean, I feel like I've heard to you before, like it's, um, maybe not something that should ever be like, uh, trendy or cool to like be a pastor. Like it should be a burden and a calling and a, you know, cost you something essentially. If like, if it was an easy job, then it wouldn't be a good job or an effective job. Yeah. And you know, I, I don't want to push that too far cause I could find some holes in it. And also I don't want to like suffer a ton, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think there is something to that, that, um, that there is something hard about it. And, and the idea that like, you know, I could just get a job and go sit in coffee shops all day and, you know, like read the Bible um, yeah, that's not, that's not exactly it. Um, so, so it, I think it definitely is, is, and increasingly, I think just where we're at culturally and where the kind of the, the culture is moving, it's going to be an increasingly uncomfortable, hmm. um, kind of position to hold, I think, to be a, a, a teacher of the scriptures and hold fast that and lead a congregation. Hmm. So. Cause you're going to be at the head of all of the secular and worldly, uh, influence in increasing societal sort of pushes uh against church against christians against yeah um, just for a long time i mean like we've never had in our country a president who wasn't a confessing christian right when we had when when um uh um when jfk became president he was the first 
Catholic president. That was like a really big deal. Right. I was like, oh yeah. my gosh, like we're have a Catholic, and we've moved so far past that. Like, like for and one of the reasons that that we have never had a non-Christian, non-confessing Christian president um, is because it's always been looked at as something favorable. It's always been looking at something positive. It's always looking at something that that if you're going to be involved in public life, you should be a religious person. Hmm. And increasingly and very quickly, astonishingly quickly, that's going away. And, um, and, and confessing Christians and people who hold fast, especially believing Christians who hold fast to the Bible, um, increasingly they're going to find themselves in uncomfortable positions and difficult choices. And, and um, they're going to be challenged and pushed in ways that are going to be really hard. And, and to, to pastor people in that and to lead people in that, I think the church is coming from a, a place of significant cultural, societal, political um, power and strength to one of of where I think we're, there's going to be less of that kind of easiness um, and it's going to come in a different, you know, God's bringing us into a different season, I think. Do you think, um, one of the things I've, I've wondered about, especially more recently, like you said, with a lot of, I mean, having a strong historical record of presidents being professing Christians uh, is, do you think that that was something that was like by and large true for the most part, that they were confessing Christians or that they were confessing Christians because it was convenient for the popular vote and it was expected and it was a cultural norm at the time. You know, now today it might be a little bit different, but um, I, I kind of personally question looking back now at some presidents or, you know, accounts of presidents where I think, you know, were they Christian? And this leads into one of my, my other questions I've, I've had, but I'm curious what your thoughts well, are on that. Yeah, I think that, um, I think it's the, the Calvin they talked about the um, the visible and invisible church, right? So the visible church is who goes to church on Sundays and who says they're Christians, and the invisible church is who's going to be with the Lord in the last day. That you know, when when he at the great white throne judgment, who who are the actual sheep, the actual um, people who are actually belong to God, and that they're two different people. And the Bible talks about this a lot. It talks about um, you know the the Bible has a lot more to say about. Um, so-called believers who act unfaithfully than, than like people who are totally outside of the church and have nothing to do with it. Um, so I think that that is a, a major concern of Christianity and the Bible is, is who really belongs to God and who doesn't. And, um, how do we make sure that we're not a part of the, the people who think they're Christians and are like Jesus said, you know, um, uh, that, that on that last day, there's going to be many who say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do miracles? Did we not do all these things? And you say, depart from me. I never knew you. Um, and, and there's another part where Jesus says, you know, um, the, when he's welcoming people on his right hand into heaven, that when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me some drink. When I was clothed, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. I'm welcome to the joy of your master. And then, and then the people who say, when I was these things, you weren't, you know, didn't, and they say, well, Lord, when do we ever see you in need in any of these ways? And he's going to say, whenever you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it for me. But that just draws a really stark conclusion. There's some people who are going to be very surprised to find out that they are on the outside um, on that on that final day when they stand before the Lord. I think that's the scariest mm-hmm. thing, by the way. I think about that often. Yeah. Like, I think that's in- insanely scary, especially I, today. I think we should be thinking about it often. I think that, you know, the Apostle Paul said that, you know, I, want, I run in such a way that in the end, I'm not disqualified. So if the Apostle Paul <laughs> is thinking about mm-hmm. these kinds of things, certainly we should be really like, this should be a really prescient question. Maybe the prescient question is, God, am I pleasing to you? God, am I, am I living the life that you want me to live? Not in a way that's fearful of like, 
losing our salvation mm-hmm. or some kind of prideful rejection mm-hmm. of that, but just in a way that is honest, is this faith? Is this not? Because um, we have a, we live in a culture where, where that's not, um, people don't, aren't allowed to think like that. Or, or certainly it's like, like to think that someone is going to go to heaven and someone's going to go to hell and to talk about what the differences are between those people and what differences that make is, is really offensive to our cultural norms and problems. So I think it is something for that many people take for granted. And I certainly think they should not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try myself to like, to take that on advice. Like, man, I don't want to take that for granted. I don't want to just assume that God is thinks I'm cool and is happy with me. And turns out like, no, he's furious with me, you know, and I'm going to face his judgment around. Yeah. I mean, speaking, uh, I, I thought about that partially because you're a pastor and like I said, there's a, uh, a heavier burden and there's a deeper responsibility being a teacher and a, and a pastor. Um, but also, you know, just given your thoughts on it to get, to get back to the, um, I guess politics a little bit, but one of the things I've been wondering about it's related to this whole presidential topic is, um, whether or not America is a Christian nation, quote unquote, and what that means. Have you yeah. thought about that or? Sure. Um, let me just first say, I didn't answer your question before. I would definitely say there's probably lots of presidents who were part of the visible church hmm. and that um, God is not pleased with and, and they're going to find themselves, um, you know, on the outside. I, I think that's, I think, um, you know, Jesus said it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, that's got to be even maybe extra true for um, uh, for politicians, you know. Like, um, there's so many things of just po- political expediency that that, especially in our context, that make it really difficult to follow Jesus or or to be faithful to Him. And and um, it seems like it seems like one of the problems with with politics a little bit is is to get to where you might need to go, you have to like kind of a priori reject some of the things that it means to follow Jesus and be a disciple of Jesus. So, so yeah, I think, and, and I think there's lots of people we could point to in just recent American history that, you know, I think that it's likely aren't Christians. I, I would say uh, just taking our, our, I think, I think we have good reason to be skeptical that Donald Trump is a Christian, right? Like um, uh, he, d- he doesn't display um, very many of the fruits of the spirit, you know, and the kind of things that you, that, that would mark Christians, um, so, so I, I, I kind of would, would guess, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be too arrogant in, in presuming, you know, to know, like it's, I think it's, I think that God left salvation up to him on purpose. Right. So I think that, that I don't want to take, I don't want to take up too much, um, uh, arrogance in my pronouncements of who's, who's a Christian, who's not. But I think it more likely that Donald Trump is more of kind of a Nebuchadnezzar type figure, um, a political leader that God might use to bring about his purposes, but is not a believer probably, or, you know, whatever. So, um, uh, so, at, so your question was, is America a Christian nation or not? I think it just de- depends what you mean by that. Right. Um, cause I think, uh, you know, in, in our circles of kind of, um, evangelical Christians, primarily conservative circles, I think we have, um, spent a lot of time thinking about the founding fathers, the environment that our country was founded in and, and the effect the, um, that, that those men's faith put on them and kind of in the founding of our country. And I think it, it seems um, incontrovertible, incontrovertible. Um, that's a word, um, that, that, yeah, like it seems like, like a lot of the founders' faith played a 
a really significant role. And, and in just the ideals of our country and some of the things they're based on seemed, um, you'll find some other political things in there. You'll find, you know, some enlightenment type ideals and some, um, uh, you know, some, some Greek ideas of philosophy and, and, um, government, but there's, there's certainly, um, at the bedrock of, of many of these men's lives was their faith and their, their desire in starting a country. Um, that being said, does that mean that the United States is always going to be a Christian nation? I don't think there's any, I can't see any reason to believe that. Like, mm. like we could certainly apostate and do all kinds of wicked things. I think that, um, since, you know, 1973, we've aborted over 60 million babies in this country. That's, um, and, and in a way that is, is really despicable and barbaric and, and, um, you know, we, we, um, we send doctors to school for 10 years so they can go in, in nice buildings that, that occupy places in a prominence in our neighborhood so that, that women and, and that boys can have their babies slaughtered. Um, uh, and, and then we want to look at, you know, we, like in, you read history about the, the new world and the Aztecs and the, you know, the child sacrifice and all this kind of stuff. Even going back in biblical times of Molech, the sin of Molech of child sacrifice. And you think, oh my gosh, these people were barbarians. Like, thank God we civilized them. And here we are that, and we are guilty of doing really heinous things. Mm-hmm. Um, the United States is the number one exporter of pornography worldwide. Um, I don't, I don't know that that I want to stand before the Lord as a nation and say we're a Christian nation when when we are um, guilty of some heinous heinous wicked things. So, so I do think that that there's some really great things um, about the United States that I'm really grateful for. Like I'm a patriot. I love our country. I love America. Um, I think there's especially some things in our founding that our our founders were prescient and wise, and um, many they they made a lot of really really sharp really great choices for our country. Ones that, um, and, and that patriots have come along the way, the ones that I'm, I, I am reaping the benefits of today. Um, I, I pray and I hope our country is going to be great. I have five kids. I want our country to be a place for them to, to thrive and experience God's goodness and blessing. But I don't know that I see any, I, I could, I could give us some real clear evidence that we're not, that God is displeased with us. Hmm. Um, and, uh, that, the, some things that, that are so big that I think we could, mm-hmm. we could comfortably expect that God is going to either um, grant us repentance and turning to him, or there's, there's going to be, um, we should be sorely afraid of, um, of his judgment, his wrath, that I think we can only expect. Um, I wanted to ask you, kind of open-ended, but what, I mean, what do you think, like things are going to look like in 10, 20 years down the road. Like where are we headed? Like at this pace? Yeah. Obviously you don't know, but I mean, yeah, I don't. And what I, are your thoughts? Like, and I, I really, I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even sure how to, how to bring, you know, how to even start to think about it because, because of how much I don't know. And, and you, you had a key word there kind of at the end of your question, which was at this pace, right? The pace is phenomenal. You, um, you've said that a couple of times. That's why I'm like, I'm wondering, you know? Yeah. Like I, I don't, I mean, um, I, I heard a great illustration a couple of years ago that like, you know, when you jump out of, out of an airplane, you don't get to decide like, okay, now I want to stop here. Right. Like, mm. um, and, and I think just culturally we, it feels unmoored. Like we feel like we are just at the mercy of the wind and it's taking us every single direction and, 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 and where that ends up, um, man is, 
is anybody's guess. Um, so um, I think I think we have increasingly seen um, the you know the zeitgeist of our country, the the worldview, the the generally accepted worldview of our country becomes so weird and foreign and um it just doesn't i don't it doesn't make sense to me like it just, and it seems like like an you know it says in, in romans 1 that god gave them over that because they did not worship him as god or acknowledge him as god but they they worship the created thing over the creator that god gave them over to the lust of their flesh so that that sometimes we think of judgment as like god punishing us right or god gonna rain down fire on us or do something like oftentimes judgment is just saying god god saying like okay have your way hmm. like if it's not gonna be my way then you can have your way and your way ends in just all kinds of confusion and brokenness and sadness and so um so i don't know um the the kinds of thinking um and ideals that i think we're experiencing right now that are that are prominent just kind of um woke ideology i think generally um, liberalism. I think we've had like just a massive kind of move left in our country, just generally. Um, uh, I th I think that's not. I think those ideas are not how societies get built, and they're not how long-lasting, flourishing works. And um, and and look, you you just can't um, uh, you can't violate God's law, um, and the, the and I don't just mean like his spiritual laws. I mean like the laws of of creation, the laws of how he made it. You can't, you can't violate those and expect it to work, you know? Um, and I think we're just in like, kind of like, it, it seems like we're in a season of just increasingly trying to violate those and expect that we're going to have good results and we're going to increasingly get bad results and worse results. Um, and I don't see a lot. I don't see like a ton on the right that is making me like really, um, enthusiastic, but I will say that, um, that I'm optimistic because I think God is optimistic. I think that God is in control. And I said earlier, um, you know, God is moving us into a different season. And, um, and it just seems like sort of this is the kind of environment that God likes to work in. Um, uh, rarely, it seems like in the Bible, do you go from a place of, of wealth and success and comfort and strength to deeper spiritual understanding and, hmm. and awareness. Um, it seems like you go from places of, of poverty and hung, you know, just, just difficulty that cause you to reach out to God and cry out to him. And, um, and it seems like that's typically where God, um, like that's kind of like God's sweet spot. Like that's where he, I mean, they're all his sweet spots, but that's where he really likes to do his best work. And, um, and so I'm kind of optimistic and hopeful to see like, okay, God, you got something really cool, something really beautiful that that you're going to do. And I don't know if it's going to be five or 10 years or 20 years or 30 years or 50 years or 500 years. Um, but I generally am a, um, a triumphalist. I think that God triumphs. I think, God, I think, I think we win. I think God wins. And, um, and so, um, I, I think that here in San Diego on the ground that we're on, God's name is going to be lifted high and, and exalted and his kingdom is going to come and I don't know if it's going to – way more than it is right now today, way more. And I don't know how it's going to come or when it's going to come or what the name of our country is going to be at that point or who the people exactly who are going to be here at that point are. 
I just know that it's going to be glorious and beautiful and grand, and, and um, we should all be pretty excited about it. it it's striking to me that, um, that you hold that view uh, because I, I would just, I'm probably stereotyping a little bit and generalizing too much, but the general sentiment to me is, from a lot of people, is that, well, that this is our nation and people are running into the ground and if that happens then like we're all screwed basically and it seems like we're it's kind of just like a doomsday attitude a little bit um like why do you feel that way rather than the doomsday kind of attitude that you're a triumphalist yeah. and that you feel like you're optimistic for the future and that the lord and that one day san diego is going to be more spiritually invested in christianity with god's ideals and that yeah. the kingdom of god's going to be here yeah i i think partially um one, one of the things I, I recommend to Christians regularly is, is I think we need to be reading books that are um, uh, come from different time periods and different places. So I think that um, sometimes you can get a very Americanized version of the world. And, and I think there's some great, like I said, I'm a patriot. I think that um, there's something to protect here. So I think there is something we should be working for. Hmm. And if we squander it, like it's being much of it's being squandered right now, I think that is something to lament. I think that is something to be sad about. Like if we're, if we're running up the deficit that our children are going to have to pay for and be impoverished, um, uh, or, or they're going to, they're going to suffer economic calamity because of our bailouts or whatever right now, I do, I think that's unwise. I think we should not do that. Right. Um, and I think the people who look at that and they feel sad or they look at they look at the current state of affairs and they feel like, you know, everything's going to hell or something like that. I, I, I recognize some of that same feeling and, and the feeling of like lamenting that and being sad about that loss is something that I think is is worth, um, you know, thinking about and feeling. And I, I, I can identify with some of those feelings. Um, but uh, this current expression that we have of American like this is not like like political tumult tumultidity tumultidity tumultuous yeah whatever that word is that we tumult. take the word tumultuous tumult <laughs> into our current political tumult that's exactly right um and and just kind of the what we're experiencing like that's not new to the world the world is always it's full of sin and these heaves and these girls. the beauty is how god um there's actually this this band gunger that um they became apostate and it's terrible. It's like this really sad broken thing, but they had this song uh, that my, my wife actually walked down the aisle to. And it's that God makes beautiful things out of the dust. Like God takes broken things and makes them beautiful. And it's the whole redemptive, it's the whole redemptive story. It's the story that's being told over and over and over again. It's Jesus story. And so I think anytime you have, anytime you're dealing with brokenness or disrepair or whatever, I think looking forward to and expecting that God is going to do something like that just is the story of humanity. And, and whatever comes next, the next iteration is going to be even better and more beautiful than this past iteration. And, um, and so, um, the things we would point to and we just said, we would glory in and think, man, God, that was beautiful. And, and, um, you did something really grand and great and, and, you know, something that is, is we love and we've been able to experience the good things from you're going to do that again and you're going to do it in, in a way that we don't see coming and it's going to be clever and mm -hmm. it's going to be like 
will be shocked and impressed, you know, and it's going to be awesome. And, and so I think there's just a, I think that's the doctrine of the kingdom of God. Like the kingdom of God is coming and advancing. It's, it starts as this little seed and grows into this giant tree. And, um, and so like, that's what I want to, I think it's, I think it's more useful to invest in that, to think about that, to apply those principles of the kingdom in those ways to seeing what God's going to do. Um, than it is necessarily lamenting how bad things are, or, you know, these young whippersnappers and, and whatever. Like, it, um, so I, I'm, I, I, I do think it's easy to be doomsday-ish and feel, I mean, when you're in a time of decline, that seems kind of natural, mm-hmm. but it also creates an opportunity. It creates an opportunity for God to, to do something new. When we look over the last couple centuries, you know, you think about like the Methodist church, right? Um, the Methodists were started by John Wesley and and uh, Charles Wesley and and these guys who who were super devoted and super faithful and 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 God did something really great in them in the first Great Awakening. Like they that this process of starting this giant move of God and that and and the Methodist Church was was this vibrant, beautiful, faithful church. And over the years, it has you know over the last century. Um, it has become increasingly liberal and, and a place that lacks, I think, basic faith and I think is, is going to be, um, you know, whatever. But even in that, even as we've seen the decline of, of many of the, the mainline denominations or the liberalization of many mainline denominations, you've seen God begin to do things in the non-denominational churches mm-hmm. and, and bring about new things and new, mm-hmm. um, new beautiful things that that, that old wineskin couldn't fit that. So, like, God's, God's kind of doing a new thing. Um, and even in this process, that's just an example of, of how God uses old wineskins and then moves into new wineskins, and and um, and that's kind of His process. So there's seasons, and we're in a weird one right now, uh, but I think we should be expecting that God is at work and He's doing something. Yeah, that's, I've been trying to, uh, yeah, been doing a little bit of digging and research and trying to read older books as well, and that that is one of the things. Um, I forget who who said it, but. Uh, it's it's like a almost like a phenomenon where like every generation thinks that they're the generation where like things are going downhill and then like everything's changing and different, but like it really is just like this cycle of like it's how the world works, it's how God moves. It's there's always like good and bad, but God is moving and advancing in some way. And 300 years ago, people were thinking the exact same way about different things, about different areas and different times, mm-hmm. different governments, but we're just this is our like flavor so essentially it's so easy to be really myopic just to be focused on right now right here it's actually one of the things that's wrong with progressivism i think progressives tend to think we have now arrived at this elevated way mm. of thinking and they don't it it, it kind of prevents you from seeing the short-sightedness of your your current the limitations of your current beliefs right um and and it's one of the things like like with kids i think about this all the time with my kids i think about it as a youth pastor um you know they're if you take a junior high girl or boy and, and their friends are having a party and they want to go and they ask their parents and you say, you know, I don't know their parents. You can't go. Um, one of the things that is really typical, they will really freak out about that. Like they will feel very emotional. Why are you doing You're trying to ruin my life. You know, like all that, like they'll be very dramatic about the whole thing. And it's not that, that they're just trying to manipulate their parents. They oftentimes really actually think you're trying to ruin my life. And one of the reasons is because they don't know that over the next 10 years, you're gonna to go to hundreds of parties and you're gonna to have tons of opportunities. It's like, this one is so important right now because they lack that life experience. 
And, and the problem is our lives, you know, we, they're so short and we only get so long and we only get to experience so much that if we don't learn from history, if you don't go back and like learn, you are really easily fooled into thinking that you know a lot more than you do, that, that the world works different than you think that it does. And so it's really helpful, I think, to, um, to study people who live in different cultures, to study people who live at different times, and to go through and, and look at what their experiences are and, and what they're doing. One of the things you find out is what, <laughs> what they say in the Song of, the song of Songs, uh, that Solomon looked everywhere, he studied everything, he realized that everything's vanity. It's just all the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun. Hmm. Um, it's all just kind of on repeat of these same things and same principles. And there, there really isn't this place where we get to like this elevated mind where now we, we know so much better. Like, no, you know, we look back at the, at the, the slave trade or, or Nazis or, you know, whatever. And we think, Oh, what kind of despicable people were they? Like we would never do something like that. And like, dude, we're doing something right now with abortion and Holocaust that we're going to be so ashamed of. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, what does that mean? Cause like thinking of like nothing is new under the sun, like the same cycle, like where do we go from here? I, I mean, I feel that way. Like, how much lower can we go? Like, how much more down the spiral can we oh, way keep we, plunging? We could you know, go way lower. But like, what does that look like? Like, it's yeah, it's <clears throat> it's really scary. Um, uh, you know, I here's here's what I I don't know, right? Like, I mean, you could think about all the different things. A way is that dissent can be silenced, and you know, it's hard not to let your mind go to like. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, like some kind of like post-apocalyptic kind of thing. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I, I doubt it's going to go something like that. But, um, you know, let's take this. Let's take this last week um, with the storming of the Capitol. Mm -hmm. Right. Like uh, those guys who stormed the Capitol. Those aren't my guys. I'm not with those guys. I'm not co-signing on that. Um, they probably uh, voted in a similar directions that I voted for, though. Right. Like they're they're Those guys are probably mostly would align themselves with conservatives and Republicans and, and, and whatever. And, and so I guess my, my point is, is that increasingly you're going to see people that are going to do the things in the name of politics that I think are abhorrent, I think are, are terrible. Um, but, but when people have lost their way, like when you kick people around, push people around, like one of my, one of the things about like, like the last couple of years about like censoring speech and especially things in regards to race and especially in, the, in this last year about what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Um, one of the things that, that I think is, is when you, uh, there's a guy, Glenn Lowry, I follow that I, that I think is really, he's a, a professor at Brown university and he talks a lot about race and, and his ba one of his basic points is if you essentialize race, if you make everything about race, um, it's, it's not hard for people to quickly become racist. And, and so oftentimes it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you want to make every possible difference between mm -hmm. people uh, the reason that they're not succeeding and you want to take away agency from people and you want to you know um, all these kinds of things uh it's very quickly that the the you know the the donald trump phenomena the, the 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 town in west virginia who's been destroyed by opiate addictions begins to blame you know uh black people or mexican people for taking all their jobs or you know like like we don't want to start to view our mm -hmm. culture in terms of race like like we don't want to start trying to trying to group up and categorize ourselves according to how much melanin is in our skin. Like that actually ends in a really terrible place, a really a really bad place. So I think we're doing lots of things to ourselves that are short sighted and are actually in the end have the potential to really be destructive and painful um, in our in our country. And and so um, I, you know I'm I'm hopeful that 
that God is going to grant us some kind of clarity of mind. But at this point, it it doesn't seem like it's who has the best arguments. It doesn't seem like we're going to, we're going to convince people and argue our way out of it. It seems like it honestly seems spiritual to me. It seems like God has given us over to depraved minds and apart from him giving us clarity, like us coming to our senses in a spiritual way. Um, it's, it's hard to imagine, you know, anything good happening. So I don't know what the next 10 or I don't know where this, I don't know where this, I don't know what rock bottom looks like. I don't know what the end of this looks like. I think, um, you know, I want to, I want to love my family. I want to preach the gospel. I want to keep my, my mind focused on God. I want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and everything else is up to you. So I want to educate my kids in the fear of the Lord. Um, I want to, to love my friends. I want to laugh a lot. I want to tell jokes. I want to be joyful. I want to build the things that God calls me to build. I want to shepherd the church. Well, um, you know, I want to see uh, young men get married, start families. Um, like, it seems like, like I want the church to, to love each other well and serve each other. Well, I want to help orphans and widows. And I feel like as we do those things, I feel like God's no matter what happens, God is going to be with us. He's going to, he's going to direct us. He's going to lead us. And, and we can expect, you know, him to do something, something shockingly cool. I think. Yeah. Mike, um, Mike normally is like known for his like hard hitting messages and like, you know, the tough ones. That's kind of like Mike's staple. Um, so it is good to hear you like speak to optimism and a little uh, bit of joy and, and laughter. Yes. I, so, um, I do feel like I'm, I'm reading, um, the Pilgrim's Progress right now. It's like mm. a kid's version of my kids. Uh, yeah, a kid's version to my kids. So we're reading it at night. And um, we're at the part where um, Christian faith will go to Vanity Fair, which is this place. It's, just, it's, it's like, it's basically Pinocchio's, um, uh, what's that place called? Um, in Pinocchio, the, uh, where he goes and they all like are just drinking beer and playing pool and having fun. Like everything's about fun. Wasn't allowed to watch that growing up. So, <laughs> oh, did your parents missed out on an important or SpongeBob learning lesson? Either one. Um, I'm, sh- I'm shocked. I can't remember right now, but uh, Pleasure Island. It's Pleasure oh. Island. So yeah. Vanity Fair is Pleasure Island. And, um, and it's basically like, I think when I preach, I think I feel like part of the problem in the church, um, is that uh, like we talked about earlier, there's a lot of people that think they're cool with God, that he's not cool with them. And I want to highlight the importance. Of, I want to, I want to preach in such a way that causes people to wonder about their own salvation. And I think we are in a, you know, just in a culture, like, like we live at a higher level of comfort and pleasure than Kings and royalty 300 years ago and beyond. Like we have comfortable beds and indoor plumbing and clean water when we turn on our taps. And most of us have money to go out to dinner from any exotic place around the world that we could possibly want. Like, you know, and we have, we have endless entertainment. We have this entertainment. Uh, we have, like if you told Mike Van Meter in 1987, okay, so he's uh, not nine years old at that point, that, that you would have a device in your pocket that you could stream any movie you want, you could play any video game you want, you could do anything. Like I would, I wouldn't have believed you. It's so shocking. So even like if you think technologically where we've come, you know, to this place, but like it's caused us to be dull and sleepy, mm. and um, and and hardens our hearts, you know? And so, so I want to preach to people that are, that I think largely are there 
and just say that the riches of Christ are so much better than that. They're so much uh, more um, to be desired. They're so much more valuable. They're so much, you know, realer than, than, you know, what you're experiencing right now. So like, like I, I preached a sermon over 15 years ago at Common Ground where I just talked about like having like a hot pocket Christianity, which is where like, um, you know, you just come home. There's, it's just the easiest, but like least nutritious thing that you could possibly eat or like Thanksgiving dinner, right? Thanksgiving dinner just takes a lot more work, a lot more effort, but it's so much more like robust and good. And, 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 uh, you know, you want to be like a Thanksgiving dinner Christian, not like a hot pocket Christian. So I think that's kind of like a, why I think you get oftentimes why I try to be direct and try to, um, preach, you know, just the, the word. Hearing you talk about that, you make it seem pretty easy to not fall under this like dozy, sleepy, like dual person, you know? Um, but well, a, I know that it's not easy, but also like you are no different. Like I'm no different from you, right? Like I can be the same way. I can have the same mindset. Um, like what is that? Like what what makes it easy, quote unquote, for you to like remain just grounded and and like um, consistent and like you know like not caught up in this in the drama or just like worldly like um, lust, all that stuff. Like what causes yeah. you to yeah keep I'm, that mindset? Basically, how do you have Thanksgiving dinner all the time? Yeah, and not yeah, the hot I need, pocket. I need to apologize to you uh, that I pocket. gave you the impression that it's easy or that I find it to be easy because <laughs> I no no well. I, I'm saying it comes across. It. I think I said it's not easy, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've said um, I gave you, I gave you the impression that I do it all the time. Or I'm well, I know successful it, at it. you do something to like, to stay grounded. Like, what is that? Right? Like what, what are you reading? What do you learn? Yeah. You know, who you spend time with? Like, what is that? Um, I, I would say a couple of things. One, I think you want to have, um, I, I think part of that comes down to just how you study the Bible. And if, if you make the Bible, um, the authoritative law of your life. Like you just, I mean, even if you don't follow it great, but you just know this is what it says. This is his commandments. This is what God says. And that's true. That's more true than what I think about it. So you don't come to the Bible and you think like, yeah, I know it says that, but I think this, and I think maybe there's, you know, you don't try to like try to find a bunch of workarounds, like where you can, you know, find something in the original language or find some kind of cultural thing that you can dismiss it. You just say, God, if this is, you know, I'm not saying you show, you don't study it or you don't try to find out what it really means, but you do it with an on, you, know, you come to it honestly. Right. And you just say, okay, whatever it means, that's the truth, whether I agree with it or not. So if, if the Bible says you should not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever and, but I, there's this girl that is gorgeous and she likes me. It's weird. And, and if I ask her out, she's going to say yes, then I dude, unequally yoked. What are we even talking about? And you know, like, cause you start to make excuses for her trying to find a way. If you just say, okay, God, this is what you say. And, and I, I'm not going to try to, to rationalize it or whatever. Um, then that sets up a lot of things that just make it kind of clear and easy for you. And you try to just read the Bible like that. And you try to surround yourself with Bible teachers that preach and teach that, you know, they're not, they're not teaching. You, you try to, you try to look for people that are going to teach the word, not tell you some cool stories and weave together some interesting thing and sprinkle it with some Bible verses, which a lot of evangelical Christianity, that's what you get. You get a motivational speech that has some Bible verses mm -hmm. um, sprinkled in there. Like one of the things I, I do sometimes if I'm, if I'm reading a book like that or, you know, is I, is I try to find what the scripture, I, I look at what the scriptures they use 
because a lot of people, a lot of Christians will like, they'll be like, Oh, this is such a great book. You should read this. And this, you know, this made such a big difference to me. And, and you go and you read and they'll be like, you'd be like, well, I don't think it's very biblical. And they'll say there's Bible verses all over it. So what I try to do is, is I look at the, the Bible verse. So a lot of times it's called proof texting, right? So they go to Bible verse and they'll like make a point and then make a point and make a point and make a point. They make a final point. And I take the final point and I go back and I look at the verse and I say, is that in the verse? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's not anywhere close. It has nothing to do with what the final point How the they got making. There. They're just kind of like using their, their thinking, their own vain imaginations and, and creating cool, interesting things and things that are going to appeal to people. The Bible says that that's, there's going to be people who tickle ears, who that's interesting for. So I try to find people who, um, who preach and teach the word to listen to. So I'm a, um, interestingly, um, I, I, I should say that my own spiritual, um, theological heritage really just goes back to Mark and Dave primarily. So there are senior pastors at our church and Mark, I think especially has discipled me over the years and I've sat under his teaching and, and Mark, I think really has some, um, some brilliance in that he doesn't come. I mean, their dad was a pastor, but they broke away from the Lutheran tradition and, and, um, he doesn't necessarily have like the, he's, he's a disciple of somebody else. And it's actually one of our weaknesses. I think it's one of the weaknesses of being a non-denominational independent church is you don't have something deeper and longer lasting to anchor into. So you listen, you look at a lot of these churches and their confessional churches and they'll, they'll go back to like the 1619 confession or, you know, whatever these different confessions are that, that they kind of founding documents or whatever. We don't have anything like that. Um, we just have uh, some people that have spoken into our church and then Mark and Dave who have largely set the theological, um, you know, view of our church. And, and it's, it's broadly, I mean, we're, we're, we're anchored into something deeper, but that's, um, you know, we're anchored into the church in general, but there's not a specific lineage mm-hmm. or whatever. So, so Mark, um, one of Mark's really, I think, defining characteristics is that um, he, he's, he's really excellent at pulling out the principles of the scripture, looking at the scripture and saying, here's the principle defining it and, and thinking about what the application is. And so when he reads the Bible, he he's thinking about in ways of what is the, what is the Bible teaching here? What's the principle here? So I think that I would say Mark was one of my, not one of he's, he's my primary, um, has, has been the biggest influence and shape on my theological life. Then I'd say there's, there's writers like, like Lewis and Chesterton and, and some other guys from kind of the earlier part of the 20th century who have had a big impact. Um, um, I've read, um, um, you know, some of Wesley and some of Whitfield and, um, and studied some of those guys that I think has been useful and helpful in my walk with the Lord. And then I think finding like-minded, um, Christians. So, so coming out of Foothills, we are a, um, if I was going to describe Foothills, our theological kind of orientation is, is, um, evangelical, charismatic, Christians. Now in that our th- our end times theology, like none of these things are super hammered out, but our end times theology is largely kind of, um, amillennial, but like post-millennial, like we have a, an expectation that God's going to win in the end. And that's kind of how the eschatology is going to work. Um, but a lot of the people that I found most helpful to me are kind of the reformed high church type people. So, um, uh, I think one of the people who's had the biggest influence on me is a guy named Doug, Douglas Wilson. Um, uh, and he has, he has a blog and, and is 
a publishing house and they've published a lot over the years. How old is he? Uh, 60s. I'm not sure. He's around retirement. I mean, he's probably just a little bit over 65. He's right in the Mark and Dave's kind of age range. They're, I think Dave is 68. I think Mark is 66. Um, so he th- he's right kind of in that wheelhouse, maybe approaching 70. Um, and, um, and, and, okay, so, so I've tried to be influenced by that. So I, I should say I have a real skepticism of cool Christianity. So I, I think, um, and I think it's partly from just those guys. Like they have always like really eschewed like the worldly kind of lo- looks of success. Like if you look at Mark and Dave, they're not like super handsome, super well-dressed dudes. Like, hmm. like they're not. Dave's big t-shirts. I love it. Yeah. I mean, shirts. And, and, um, and it's actually over the years has made me, um, I think where I think early on, in my walk, I think I would have been like, oh, you guys are old and old fashioned where now I actually see it as like a virtue. Like, I actually, I actually appreciate guys um, who lack uh, a certain style or a certain trying to, f- like if, if you come out and you're a cool Christian, like you, if you, you're wearing tight pants and a deep V neck or I don't know what, like, like glasses that you don't mm-hmm. need, you know, or whatever, like your, your haircut look like Mike, you wore Chelsea boots when you preached last time. Okay. Those, so. those, those boots I have are the only pair of dress shoes that I own. That I wear them all the time, so you just noticed. But they're the only. It's one good I to see you break the the normal tennis shoe jeans and yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, hoodie. Well, I should say I never wear jeans. I never wear jeans or tennis shoes when I preach or a hoodie. So For thank sure. you very much. Yeah. But if I did, you should be like, "What's going on here? Yeah. This dude, who does he think he is?" Um, because it's not that there's anything necessarily inherently wrong. It's just that's such a thing in Christianity. It's such mm-hmm. a a mm-hmm. model of like wanting to be accepted, wanting to be cool, wanting to fit in with the world. And, and dude, um, it, that's not going to work. And so I think <laughs> that, I think that in like kind of looking for that, those kinds of things and being skeptical of some of what passes for Christianity, I think <laughs> has, has been useful and helpful to me. Um, along those same lines, I think something that increasingly has been helpful. I've been preaching this for a long time, but I found it to be um, increasingly helpful is to apologize a lot and confess your sin a lot and, when you mess up or make a mistake, um, you don't try to think more highly of yourself. You know, try to make excuses for yourself. Um, you confess your sin. I try to confess my sin to my wife and my kids. And when I wrong somebody or I offend somebody, or I know I kind of misspoke or I did something wrong. I want to own it up really fast. There's something nice about that. It just helps you from, it helps you like from growing into thinking, dude, you're really awesome. And like, like when you're, when you're acknowledging your failings and your, mistakes there's something so good for your soul in that to like that just is humbling um that i found that to be mm-hmm. profoundly useful in in just trying to think through the scripture like I, I i recently was involved in something where um uh, okay long story short all people's church is trying to build a building over by my house and i don't I'm not connected to all people's at all but um they, they seem like they're a good church and, um, and there's people in my neighborhood are just like up in arms about it. Like they started this whole, all these campaigns, we're gonna, you know, about how they don't want them to build their building there and all this kind of stuff. They're making it very hard for them, I think. And, um, and I live in that neighborhood. I grew up my whole life in that neighborhood. So I've just been chiming in like um, uh, that, you know, I think you guys are, um, I don't think that's a good argument. I, don't, I think you guys are wrong about that. I think that'd be good neighbors. I think it'd be good for us to have this church in our neighborhood, all this kind of stuff. But, um, but I was, uh, I added like some extra snark on some of the things, some of my, um, I'm actually a believer in polemics, which is like, there's certain times where like 
to make aggressive arguments um, where you um, tear things apart and you um, mock things even. I think Jesus mocked things and people. I think that's it, there's, there's times for that. But I think I was being um, – uh, I think I was being extra, like more than I should have, you know, and um, and and like it was an interesting because there's a lot of things going on. People were up in arms, like like furious about it, mm-hmm. and it was an interesting time for like my, my my general like my flesh is like let's let's go to war. Like I I'm down like like you remember Joe Pesci and Casino? If you ever seen that movie where they're like. You know, if, if, if you come to him with your fist, like he'll come at you with a knife. If you come out with a knife, he's gonna come at you with a gun. If you come out with a gun, you better kill him because he's gonna keep coming back. That's like a little bit of my philosophy, you know. Like, like if you toilet paper my house, I'm gonna kidnap your, one of your kids. Down, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like that kind of it, it comes natural to me. Like that kind of attitude, and it's obviously like kidnap one of your kids. <laughs> yeah, it's actually it's obviously like sinful and wicked, and my flesh, and it's despicable, right? I'm embarrassed by it, and I think for lots of my life, I think I, I wasn't as embarrassed of it as I should be. And, um, and anyways, this is just one of many examples where I thought like, um, these people are generally being bad actors and I was calling them on it and there's something virtuous and good about that. But the way I did it was not cool. And, and I want to be able to own that even when it's like, you know, like you have to whatever defer, look back. It's, it's like the situation of the Capitol building, right? Like I, I think that. Um, these people who stormed the Capitol building, it, it'd be expedient because they're. Uh, let me maybe use the example of Trump. Um, Trump, I think, has done some good things. I think he's been treated incredibly unfairly. I don't want to like, like, let him get away with like not call him out on a sin though because he's done some things that I think are beneficial to me or my political causes or something, right? Like, I want to be honest about that, and we have to be humble about that. So I try to do that in my life. I think that is, is helpful, um, to kind of keep focused on like God. I don't want to get caught up in this success. I don't want to caught up in the, the vanity fair of this world, the frills, pleasure Island, that kind of stuff. I want to pay attention to that stuff. And then long-term you do the things that you know are going to be, um, about the kingdom. You know, you love your wife, you be faithful. Um, you don't give yourself a lot of allowances. You don't let yourself get away with stuff. Um, you have to have people in your life you're open with and you're honest with. Um, you know, I don't know. You don't try to be too polished or look too good or make yourself look like it's about you. So, There's a lot there. I, w- I want to go back for a second to the original part uh, of you, you spoke briefly about sort of how you studied the Bible and that you felt like that's a big part that's sort of missing um, from a lot of Christians' lives or maybe the source of some of the downfalls for how people think or act and, and whatnot. I'll tell you one of the the struggles I had when I was an intern, and I've talked about this a few times, is that uh, the lines between my personal devotional life and like work, quote unquote, of like studying the Bible to, uh, you know, give a message or like prepare something for a talk or a panel or, you know, whatever. Like my my church duties were not super extensive, but I was sometimes doing a couple messages a week between higher ground and small group and. Tuesday night group, whatever it was as a pastor that only gets even more amplified where it's constantly instructing and teaching, preaching, et cetera. How do you, uh, find that balance between, I mean, it's been over 20 years and almost 21 of like still making use of your devotions personally, rather than just 
what can I get from this to do my job well and to fulfill my duties? Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it, it kind of works the other way too, where, um, when I preach this, this last time I preached was a week and a half ago. Um, I preached on, on, I think one of the sermons, you know, it's kind of like what you were talking about before, like that I'm kind of maybe known for like in your face and, and are you really devoted or, you know, have you really given yourself to the Lord? Uh, but in preaching that, I, dude, I was so convicted. Like it, it was for me, you know what I mean? So, so I do think there's something as you preach the word, you, I think you want to preach in a way where it's the word is authoritative and it's judging me in the same way it's judging you, you know, like, mm. so I, I think there's something even in that preparation. Like I found over the years that, that oftentimes in preparing Bible studies and sermons and that kind of stuff, like I'm as encouraged or blessed or convicted as anybody else in the room. So I think devotionally that's actually been a really helpful thing for me in preparing and studying the word uh, to, to think about those things. And, and, and I don't think, I can't think of anything in the Bible where I'm like, Oh, that's, I've done that to death. Right. You know, that I figure that I got that part hundred percent down. I think the simplest texts or the most straightforward stories, I think still are really meaningful to me and can, you know, have the power to convict and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think that partially, you know, I think this I might probably learn from Mark and Dave, but they largely preach out of their devotions. Like, like as you're studying, um, God is going to speak to you. And a lot of times, one of the things I found out is when I first got became a Christian, one of the things I struggled with was I, I just thought, man, these people have their lives together. I don't belong here because I'm jacked up. Like the things I'm thinking about during worship, like I, I was under a t- spiritual attack for something. Like I have like these pornographic view, like pictures come to my mind during worship and stuff. And I struggled with that for a long time. And I just used to think like, dude, am I like, there's something really messed up about me. If people knew what I really thought or was really going on in my heart or what I, I've really experienced, um, and because these people that I'm hanging out with and becoming friends with, they clearly do not have the same experience that I have. And then I just come out, find out later on that, oh no, they're all just like I am. Uh, they just good at hiding it. Right. So one of the things I've, I've found is that a lot of times the things that God's going to speak to me about or things he's going to convict me of or things that, you know, are going on that, that, um, he's showing me maybe in the word or whatever are things that man, people need to hear. And so I don't ever think like, oh, that's too basic or that's too whatever. No, a lot of those things, um, I, don't, I, don't, I never feel pressure to come up with something new. I remember a friend said a long time ago that people need to be reminded a lot more than they need to be taught. Um, and I think that's true. I think that so much of it is just we need to keep these things in front of us and walk in that kind of, you know, remembering of that kind of stuff. So um, uh, I, I do think I think what I have struggled with that is a little bit um, interesting is that is it this thing, this, this spiritual thing for me personally of studying the word and being faithful and being a faithful Christian is also something I get paid for. And so one of the ways that manifests is like um, in, in Mark and Dave are my bosses. They sign my paycheck and, and they also are my pastors and they also are like spiritual fathers to me. And so there's a lot of reasons I want them to think, think that I'm doing a good job and be proud of me. Right. Um, but that can become a mixed motive. Like that can become like a little complicated motivation sometimes. And if my goal is to preach in such a way that God would be pleasing to me, um, it's, it's actually nice that that usually is the same thing as, as honoring Mark and Dave and being pleasing to them, but it's not exactly the same thing. And so I regularly, I remember several years ago, I had to just kind of say, okay, God, I want to 
I want to be pleasing to you. I want to do all my work as unto the Lord, whether these guys notice it, see it, think it's a good, think it's bad, whatever. I just want to be pleasing to you God. So I want to keep that first and foremost. Um, and when you preach, you know, there's people hearing you and, and, um, you want to be used by God to minister to people. And you also want people to think you're cool and, and like you, right? Uh, everybody, everybody struggles with that. And so you have these two motivations that actually oftentimes are working the exact same direction, but one is a good motivation. One's a bad motivation. And, um, and so I just try to focus on, um, you know, the, the good motivation of just God, I want to be pleasing to you. And I want to feed your sheep. I want to be, I want to minister to your people. And, um, and so if that's, you know, if I start thinking like, oh, did that, that joke sound cool? Or did that, you know, was those people impression me or somebody comes after me and they, oh my gosh, that changed my life. Um, you know, one of the things I always just say is like, yeah, praise God. You know, he can, he knows what you need and he was able to give it to you today. And I try not to take too much credit for any of that. And I try to just keep my focus on being pleasing to the Lord and be faithful to him. So I love it. Good. We could take it in, in a different Direction, or did you have another question? Um, or a related no, question? No, I got a few more questions, like, com- but not on that topic. So we can let's go for it. Keep going through the questions, and then at the end, circle back to our format. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I want to know what is your biggest challenge as a husband and as a father? Kind of like separate, but like, what are those for others for you? Yeah, I don't know about, I'm not sure about biggest challenge, but I just you don't um, have challenges. No, I got lots of challenges. <laughs> uh, just doing life with another human being that you guys are like like linked in this way that you're not linked with anybody else in the world Mm -hmm. just inherently comes with some challenges where you want one thing and they want a different thing, or you guys both want the same thing. It just looks different and your way of getting there is different. So I think that's probably it of just trying to figure out life and trying to move in the same direction and, and be on the same page with each other. And, and, um, my wife is, um, like phenomenal. Like she, she's really easy to get along with. She's a peacemaker. Um, she wants me to be happy. I mean, she's just like really excellent in every possible way. And, um, and it's still challenging. So it's like, man, it, it just is re I think you, we got to try to communicate a lot. I got to try to make sure she knows that she's loved. I remember, um, a, a marriage counselor gave us this analogy that I think is one of the most helpful analogies. It's just, it's just like, it's like having a bank. It's like, if you have money in the bank, you can write a check and it's okay. And if you don't have money in the bank, I mean, I don't know if you guys were, were like me when you were 18, 19, you, you ranked, you racked up your fair share of, you know, overdraft fees, right. And just compounds the problem, makes everything worse. So you want to try to keep money in the bank and you keep money in the bank by having fun together. You keep money in the bank by um, me encouraging her, loving her, um, you know, being humble with her, um, all those kinds of ways, I think, keeps money in the bank and it keeps our relationship good. I've said lots of times that my wife could freak out like she could go totally crazy and it probably wouldn't be that bad because she's just got a lot of money in the bank. She's got this great track record of being cool and forgiving and sweet that um, it, w- it wouldn't be that big of a deal. If she came home and said, I bought this thing for fifteen hundred dollars, I'd be shocked. I'd be a little bit upset, but, uh, you know, somehow she'd probably get away with it because she, you know, shops at thrift stores and target and she doesn't go to Nordstrom or I don't know, Neiman Marcus or Saks Fifth Avenue or any of those kinds of kinds of things. So, um, that's a, that's a big part of being married is just, um, you know, keeping money in the bank. And so we try to have a good time together. We try to love each other well. Um, and 
Um, and then a parent, uh, there's obviously lots of things with that. I think, I think being a constant state, one of the things that's really weird about kids is they're constantly growing and changing. And so you might deal with something one day and think, Oh, okay, we covered that. And then six months or a year later, you realize, Oh, we have to cover that in a whole new way. So like even thinking about like, like talking to your kids about sex or, you know, human development or whatever. Um, my son Wilson, I think at the, we were just talking about this the other day. I mean, my wife, that my son Wilson was talking about something about sex and, and, and he, he was talking about sharing their DNA and to him, like sex is a purely biological sharing of DNA type, uh, science project. And, um, and I was telling my wife, I think I need to talk to him about how sex is like pleasurable and fun and feels good. Cause I don't want him to be shocked later on to find that out. You know, like, like somebody shows him pornography or something. He's like, this isn't a science project, you know, like this is what is this is not sharing DNA. Like I want him to be prepared for, you know, some of those, some of those things. So I think the having five kids that, you know, think about like, they're all at different levels of trying to make sure that you are covering the things that you know, you want to make sure they cover and, and, and being intentional about those things. Um, so that's, that's part of it. I think trying to make sure, you know, your kid might be really secure and confident in one moment. And, and you think, okay, great. I have a confident kid. And six months later, if you're not careful, you know, maybe they are struggling with depression or they're struggling with like, like insecurity. And so you kind of want to be like living life where you're paying attention to that stuff and addressing as it comes up. And so I, th I think that's kind of challenging because it, it really is, takes a lot of time. And it takes a lot of focus and it takes a lot of energy. You can't really be lost in yourself or about a bunch of other stuff mm -hmm. when, when you got that going on. What are you going to do to like protect and like help your kids like with pornography and like that struggle? Yeah, it's an excellent question. Um, Cause honestly, on, I, I noticed earlier, well, it was, just, it was interesting. You said when someone shows Wilson pornography, yeah, mm -hmm. right. I was thinking that might be part of your, attitude towards it <laughs> yeah like because um you know obviously like i i think i want to be very careful about their access we're very conservative with our kids our kids aren't allowed to spend the night at people's houses like we're very protective on a lot mm -hmm. of different things I, I think probably lots of people would look at it and think that's kind of extreme um but but, but the reality is um pornography is so ubiquitous and it's so intentionally after our kids that I could do all the things in the world to make my house this lockdown sanctuary of, of nothing could possibly get in there. And that's not to prevent my kid from, from somebody showing someone on their phone, right. Who's, mm -hmm. whose parents weren't as much. In fact, that's likely going to happen. And so, um, so I want to, I want to be diligent, um, to, to make it, um, to protect my kids innocence as much as possible one of the one of the things we've done really wickedly in our society is laid these heavy burdens on kids that they're not prepared to deal with and so we've introduced all we've sexualized kids we've introduced all kinds of abominable things on kids that they're thoroughly unprepared for um and 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 the answer is not prepare a nine-year-old you know so they know what anal sex is or something right that that's not that's not the answer. That can't be the answer because a nine-year-old cannot be prepared for that kind of thing. So I want to protect them as much as possible when they're young, but I also want to let them know, um, this is great quote from Lewis. Um, uh, where it's talking about like a lot of parents are really protective of their kids. And so they don't let them read stories that are scary or that kind of stuff. And Lewis said, 
um, I'm, I'm going to butcher the quote, but basically to the effect of um, it is inevitable that kids are going to find out about monsters and demons and evil and dark things. At least let them be prepared to know that there are knights and there are, are, are good people and there are heroes and there's uh, bravery and there's um, uh, the valiant, right? And so I want my kids to know that, um, that, that there is a dark world they're going into full of danger, full of pain, full of bad things, and that God is over those things and God is going to triumph for those things and they can walk with him and be strong in those things and they can overcome those things. So, so I would say like our, our thing is a little bit three-pronged. One is we want to protect our kids' innocence, be careful what they watch, what mm-hmm. they're being exposed to, that kind of stuff. So our kids, um, they, they have a way times 50 more sheltered life than I had growing up. My kids are homeschooled. It's actually very easy right now for us to control many of those things. Um, the second thing is I want them to be prepared for when they go, you know, um, uh, the Amish have this thing called Rumspringa, which is when an Amish person turns 18, the demands of living in Amish community are so strong that they don't want you just because you grew up Amish to live there and feel like this is a burden put on you never had a choice. So they have this thing at 18 called Rumspringa, which is where you could go out, live in the world and just do it up, go see what the world has to offer. And if you want to come back and live in the Amish community, you can do that. And that makes a lot of sense. Like that, that makes some sense to me because you don't want people who are just, just like that. But I don't want my kids to be so shocked at what they find in the world once they finally experience it, that they grew up in the sheltered, you know, Christian community. That as soon as their friend shows them a movie that says the F word, or as soon as they, you know, are exposed to something that they crumble and, and that they fall apart. I want them to know that those things exist and know what the appeal is and know why they're wrong and what's, you know, how to fight that. And then I think third and finally, I think we want to just have really open lines of communication with our with our kids, um, which is uh, that if something, when something happens that they feel like they trust us and want to talk to us about it, want to, want to come see us. So like one of the things I've always said is, is I want Claire and Juniper, my two daughters to want me to be a part of them, their dating process or what, you know, whatever we call that. Um, I want, I want them to want to know what their dad, you know, to want their dad's blessing and approval, not like, you're not allowed to do that. Like they value that they, they want my, me to be involved in that process. And, and so that's kind of like the idea is like to, um, you know, to have that trust and that level of confidence in each other built up so that it comes naturally. I have a completely unrelated question. Um, but it's related to something we've touched on before, which is, uh, around sort of, divisiveness a little bit uh you had mentioned like when you make everything about race then that sort of like leads us down a bad path because when it becomes about race then it opens up an opportunity for all sorts of uh other bad paths essentially and um i feel like one of the similar ones is around uh business and the relationship between faith and business and i wanted to get your take on what you think about uh, here's my thing is I've been feeling like I don't want to live in a world where the, the world just kind of like splits up and it's like all the Christians do business with all the Christians and all the quote unquote worldly people do business with the worldly people. Um, but what do you do when there's persecution and, or if there's people who say we don't serve Christians or yeah. basically the, mm-hmm. um, sort of interesting divide, dividing line between, uh, 
who you do business with and who you shop at, you know, do you shop at Starbucks? Do you not yeah, shop sure. at Starbucks? Right, right, things right. like that. What do you think of it? <laughs> it's a big question. <laughs> Sorry. Um, there, there's a book uh, that came out a couple years ago by this guy named Rod Dreher um, called The Benedict Option. And he went around and studied these communities that had basically like Benedictine monks, monks that during times of, of upheaval where Christians were being persecuted, um, where, where communities would form that were self-sustaining, right? Um, and, and they could kind of withdraw almost from the greater public square and just be their own isolated Christian community and, and be self-sufficient and have everything they needed in them. And, and he got a lot of pushback, and I think rightly, rightfully so, that I don't think the answer is to withdraw from public life. Um, because for a couple of reasons. One is, is that there's, there's a phrase that I think is, is really helpful, erudite. It's, it's um, all of Christ for all of life. That, that everything belongs to Jesus. It's all his. And so we don't want to have these kind of fragmented lives where I'm a Christian and then I go to work and I'm, you know, I check out on that or like kind of, you know, like how they try to have public school teachers. Like you can't bring, you're an agent of the state. You can't bring your, your faith into those realms. I don't, I don't think that we can't, we can do that. And I don't think it's, it's wise to try to do it, but we are enter, entering into some really interesting times where I think it's, I don't think some of those choices are going to be made by you. Hmm. Um, so you might have a lot of goodwill towards everybody and want to work with everybody. And, um, and increasingly we're seeing kind of the litmus test of, are you willing to affirm these things? And if not, you're not allowed to work here. So, you know, if, if, if I was going to, uh, if I had a, if I went to work for Google and somebody who didn't like me or somebody in HR went and listened to all my sermons that I've ever preached, um, it's likely that I would be fired from Google, right? And um, and so I think that increasingly Christians are going to be put in a spot where um, those decisions are going to be made for them. I think the general principles that we want to keep um, are um, uh, we want to be hardworking, we want to be faithful, we want to be entrepreneurial. I think I think it's good for Christians to start businesses. I think it's good for. Um, uh, for Christians to be involved in politics. I think it's good for Christians to be involved in all these different areas and, and aspects of, of life. I think that is an important, um, uh, just part of the kingdom that God has called us to do all those things. Um, I, I like something that Luther said that, um, uh, I'm going to be preaching on something like this. in I think in a couple weeks, um, is that the, you know, be a Christian cobbler doesn't mean you put crosses on all your shoes. It means you make great shoes, right? Um, so I, I think that that we kind of can oversimplify things sometimes. You know, I'm just going to put a I'm going to put a, a fish on my on my business card, and that makes me a Christian business or something like that. And I think we want to askew some of those some of that trite stuff and some of that, the basic stuff. But I think that um, increasingly, like it's going to be really interesting to see over the next several years how it plays out the marriage between Christians in the in the marketplace and how that works out. And if I was a Christian who was getting involved in big tech or something like that, I'd be really wary right now. Like I, I don't think I would encourage somebody to go work for a big tech company or to work, go work for a big corporate company. I think Christians, wise Christians, astute Christians are going to maybe have to start thinking a little smaller than that and a little more um, independent than that and think in ways that can I, do what I, what God's called me to do and this thing that the skill that I have or this career path that I have, um, in a way that is not beholden to somebody just being able to pull the plug and I'm totally out of luck, you know? 
So uh, that's that I think is one of the very interesting questions about this next season um, that I think I would I would really be encouraging people, um, you know, even to to start businesses and to do those kinds of things that are going to be able to be self-sustainable. Hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Well, one of the I guess like the real life examples of that or case studies is with the election recently. I don't know if you followed it or if you saw it or I know we had talked about it briefly, but um, there was, it was sort of like one of those new things where like, Oh, I I haven't really thought about what would happen if, uh, if this thing kind of played out, which was that CEO of one of these big tech companies, Expensify emailed the entire list of 10 million customers urging them to vote for Biden over Trump. And, um, so there's all sorts of, you know, praise on one side of, oh, he had the, uh, the courage to do so. And, you know, he might lose customers because of it, or he might gain customers because of it. Um, but then there's also, I think on both sides, a question of like, well, should a business be speaking up about that? Or like, what, what should, um, people or businesses be speaking up against or be urging for, you know, like, is it right for a Christian business to urge their customers to vote for uh, Donald Trump, for example, or even for Biden? Um, should they be speaking up or not? Or should they be using their power to do that or not? Um, I don't know if you've given any thought to it, but oh. I, would, I thought maybe you might have some interesting yeah, thoughts. Yeah, I, f- <laughs> I feel like that kind of stuff's happening all the time. I feel like more and uh, more. I, I have a couple friends in tech and, and, um, uh, they really have to keep their heads down because like on Slack channels and on, you know, so I have a, I have a friend who worked for GoFundMe and mm. at the time that if a couple of years ago, there was that the people build the wall campaign and it became the, the largest campaign they'd had in the history of GoFundMe it, and it, overnight. And, and the internal conversations about, should we allow this campaign to happen or not? Uh, or is this, you know, is this, is this part of the racist establishment that wants to build a wall to keep out that is, is racist towards Hispanics or Mexicans and, um, and the internal conversations at Slack. And I think they ended up taking it down at some point. I think they ended up censoring it. Um, were just abhorrent, like really out there. And, um, and I've had several, you know, kinds of experience with, with, of just hearing about those kinds of things of, of like some of the internal things that are going on in companies where, man, a lot of people are being held hostage. And, and, and I think that's where, um, and it's not just, it's, it's not just, should we, you should vote for this person or vote for this person. It's, it's here's what you should believe about this issue, or here's what you should think about. Um, you know, here's, here's what we're going to use our business to, to do these things. I mean, parlor getting taken off being deplatformed, um, that's pretty wild, you know, like, yeah. like, like it's not just, it's not just a, a company censoring what happens on their own platform. It's other companies censoring another platform that has a doorway to their platform. And I think I, I, one of the things that I'm, uh, um, I'm especially concerned from, and I think is going to have to figure out a way over these next, you know, I think the, if the, if the conservatives don't figure this part out, I think we're really doomed, which is as, as, as far as I can tell, Amazon runs so much of the software and, and yeah. servers and stuff that everything runs off of, even what all these disparate websites and everything, businesses, that, um, that increasingly if, if the, um, uh, if, 
if the software and the the servers and the things that that make digital life happen are in the hands of a really select number of people, um, that's going to become a big problem with some of the stuff. Like like for, let's take Parler for example. How does it happen that in the course of two days, Google and Apple, who are competitors, both deplatform, both take them off of their service, and Amazon. Like these are the three biggest companies. Yeah. Huge. In the world, um, uh, certainly as far as the internet goes, and they they must represent. I don't know what in the U.S. the market share of of um, in terms of of um, marketplaces for apps, right? App stores. Oh, like ninety nine percent. Yeah, I mean it's like, and they both in conjunction with each other do it at the exact same time. I don't understand that. Like that seems really alarming to me that that kind of level of of control would be given into you know, the hands of, of big tech companies. And I, and I tend to be kind of libertarian in my views on laissez-faire, like let companies do whatever they want to do. Um, but I think we're getting into a position here where we're going to find we've, we've hurt ourselves significantly in mm. some, in some big ways. And I think it's, it's kind of being demonstrated right now. So yeah, I don't, I, that's what, that's partly why I say if you have an internet company, if you're involved in any kind of way, um, uh, I don't think the answer is, okay, well just keep your head down and don't talk about your faith. That can't be it. Like yeah. we gotta be faithful to Jesus. And, and I don't wanna, I, I decided a long time, and this is easy for me to say, cause I'm a pastor at a church at a conservative church. And um, you know, if you, if, if you emailed Mark and Dave and said, you know, your pastor's out there talking about how he's against homosexuality, um, I would get an encouragement, not a bonus. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going anywhere. Um, so, uh, so it's easy for me to say this, but, um, you know, I've, I've tried to live my life in such a way that like, I can never run for office, you know, like, like, like my social media history will prevent me from ever being able to, to be accepted by the wider. It would be canceled audience. immediately. Right. Because I think that as long as we're trying this, and this goes to this, this really germane thing here, which is if, if we're trying to fit in with the world, that's exactly the opposite of what God's called us to do. And that line gets blurred a little bit with business sometimes is you want to be well thought of and you want to be accepted by the culture. But if the culture is going an abominable way, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's good for Christians to um, accept that or even try to profit from it. I think that there's some questions there that we have to try to answer. And hmm. Yeah. I, I was curious to get your take on the censorship because it's, it's actually a really big deal. I think because it, it's, it's sort of like the, um, a little bit like the judicial system where like you have a case and then the judge rules one way and then that's referenced for any kind of like future decisions. And now it's like, Oh, we're deplatforming apps that have a certain population of people who think a certain way oh, We're yeah. we're banning certain people for things that they say, or because of affiliations that they have. Um, and, and it really, cause you think about, a, I mean, I know cause I'm sort of in the tech world, right. quote unquote, but, um, Amazon, uh, Cloudflare, and WordPress literally run basically all of the internet. Right. It's everything that we know and see today is basically because of those three services to one degree or another. And um, all three of them have what we'd probably call uh, liberal progressive leadership. And, and then there's, there's pressure put on them. And then it's, it's sort of, it just happens right out of, with a snap and then the, you can't reverse it. Um, or it, 
sort of is, is the first domino to fall in a way, yeah. it seems like, unless it stopped at some point. Well, I remember this has got to go back probably about 10 years when Brandon Ike, Brandon Ike, who was the founder of Mozilla, um, hmm. uh, it came out that they, they do Firefox. And, mm-hmm. and it was during the time of Prop 8. And one of the things that they did was um, if you tried to go to, I can't remember if it was Match.com, it was one of the dating websites, is is you put in whatever the dating website Hold was. Hold up. Were you, were you on it back then? No. No, I wasn't. <laughs> Just making sure. No. <laughs> uh, I'm going to not tell all the jokes I want to tell. Um, on the website, it would say, um, this website does not support uh, same sex, um, dating. So you couldn't match with some, if you said you were homosexual, they didn't have a service for that, for matching for that. And it was like letting you know that like, Hey, and it, I think it even gave the, the, a link to some of their competitors. Like, Hey, you can go here. Right. And Brendan Ike, who's the founder of the company, it got found out that he had given to a yes on prop eight campaign during the, the 2008 campaign here in California to define marriage between a man and a woman. Yes on prop eight meant that you were in support of making that into the, the state constitution. It won, it passed. And he had given money, he had given some money towards the yes on eight. And he ended up getting fired from mm. Mozilla, from the company that he founded. Mm. Yep. And this is 10 years ago. So, and we've come a long way in 10 years. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the first things where it was like eye opening to me where I was like, oh my gosh, like, dude, we're living in a new reality where um, increasingly your speech and your belief on mainline basic, remember, in 2008, it passed in California, one of the most progressive states in the union, that, that defining marriage is between a man and a woman passed, and he got fired for supporting <laughs> that measure, which is wild. It's wild. And so increasingly, that's going to come up more and more and more. So. Yeah. We had talked uh, briefly about it, but I'd sort of come to the conclusion a little bit that it, it should be expected that at this point and i think that the maybe you have something to chime in on, on this but my sort of stance to it has been um well i don't want to not do business with people who are not christians because i don't want to open up you know like i feel like that's doing business is sort of an opportunity to build a relationship and to love someone and to uh to establish a you know a connection with someone and so i will do business with people who are homosexual trans who have a aborted babies like that don't you know we're not called to draw the lines on sort of who we associate with just like jesus went and uh, hung out with all the people right uh but it seems like there's this line being drawn on the other side quote unquote where people are like well we're not going to do business with christians we're not going to have parlor on the app store we're not going to allow someone to speak these things on social media and i don't know if it's I, the question is, I don't know if it's right to fight back against that or if that's sort of the persecution that we should rejoice in and accept and turn the other cheek. Yeah. I, well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, uh, I think we should fight back against it because I think it's it's godless. But it, it belies something that I think this is what I think few people understand. Um, uh, one of the things Douglas Wilson has said kind of recently is, is that um, – the original sin, I think it was, it was somewhere, the original sin of America is secularism. The idea that, that you can um, have a country that is based on something other than, like, other than the Bible. Like, um, 
I mean, you, you can base it on something, but there is, here, here's, the, here's the big idea. There's no neutral ground. You can never be neutral. And so we, we have this idea that, well, we can look at it from a neutral perspective or we can, we can um, uh, you know, that, that Lady Justice should be blind or, or whatever situation. There, there is no neutrality. You have to, to stand anywhere. You have to stand somewhere. And so, um, you know, the, the idea being with, with some of these things is like, is you, you know, you said as Christians, we don't have, you know, in, in regards to business, our business ethics, like we don't have like, oh, I can't do business with you because you're trans or whatever. Well, there's some businesses where I think it'd be sinful to do business with a trans. If, if, if somebody wanted to have a, a transition cake, you know, it's why, it's why these celebration type businesses have actually gotten in trouble and why they're, they're kind of for first and foremost. Um, or if you wanted me to preside over a gay wedding, well, I'm not going to do that. Um, I would, I would be sinful for me to do that. I would it'd be wrong for me to do that. Um, so there are lines that we would cross. So if I had a restaurant and they said, um, Hey, uh, a, a gay couple is going to come in for dinner. I'll serve them just like I serve everybody else. If they wanted a special cake made for their, they wanted the violin player to come out and play a special song for their anniversary. I wouldn't do that. Cause you're asking me to make something look beautiful that I don't think is beautiful. But if you want me to serve you in the same way, I'm going to serve everybody else. Something like that. Okay. But there's a lot of people who'd hear that and they'd say, Oh my gosh, like that's hateful and bigoted. And then don't be surprised when the other side does that to you. Right? Like, um, when they apply their standard to you that, that adversely affects you or whatever. And, and one of the things I'd say is like, I, we don't actually have our own stance. Like this is, I'm not making an, an argument for what Mike Van Meter thinks is best. I'm making an argument for what the Bible, what God says, who, who made everything, who owns everything. So we could disagree and argue um, about your opinion versus my opinion. Um, but, but we all are, are advancing some kind of worldview. And so at the end of the day, one of the realities is just um, anything apart from a biblical worldview is not going to work. It's not going to last. It's not going to, it's not going to be effective in the long term. And so I want to be unapologetically about a biblical ethic and worldview and, um, and any other kind of worldview we try to use. If, like if you try to appeal to in that situation where now they're saying, well, we don't want to do business with you because you're a Christian. Um, and, and you try to say, well, that's not fair. Yeah. Don't expect that to work. Like that's not going to work. It's not going <laughs> right. to, it's not going to be successful. Um, and, and partly in that you're trying to appeal to a pl a neutral place of like, where actually neutrality never existed. Like there mm. is no neutrality now. Uh, so anyways, that's I, part of a, probably a really long conversation about, um, the kingdom and how God works. But I, I think increasingly the other principle I would say is it says in first Peter, don't be surprised at the fire ordeal you're going through. Um, I think the weird thing is that we're at a place culturally where over the last 50 years, it would be surprising, hmm. right? That's the, that's the, the weird part. The normal part throughout your life is, oh yeah, it's going to cost me something to be a Christian. The weird thing is it hasn't cost us that much over the last however many years. And now we're moving into a season where it's going to start costing. Um, that's normal Christianity. Like that's just what being a Christian is. And so I think come to the place where you're cool with that and you're not surprised by it. It's not caught catching you unawares, I think is, is you'd be wise to think on that and, you know, yeah, whatever. Well, going a little long. Um, I have one more question before we hit the final three. Do you have any more? No. Cool. Go for it. Last question. Um, what book would, would you recommend for young Christian men? Or just what books would you recommend? Yeah. Um, 
I've been pretty disappointed with most of the books about Christianity and manhood that are out there. I, I think a lot of it is pretty weak and, um, um, there's some podcasts and stuff that I think are good. I think there's, I think there's a moving and kind of a men's Christian movement that, um, there's been some good stuff that is coming out, kind of pushing back on some of the kind of weak, um, kind of almost effeminate type masculinity stuff that's been out there for for men. Um, so I think there is some good stuff out there, but I, I'd have a hard time. I think recommending is like, if you're a young man, you really want to do something like go read this book right away. Like this is the most important thing. Um, I think for me, the, and I, 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 I don't know how this happened or if it was just per chance, but I read some, some books that challenged me a lot. Um, when I was, when I first became a Christian that I think I can see that was really helpful for me to read that early on. So, um, one of the, one of the people that I'm, I'm really grateful for is, um, uh, Richard Wormbrandt. Um, he was a, a persecuted Christian in um, Romania during the post-World War II communist takeover and was in prison for, I think, 14 years and suffered a lot. Um, that was a really helpful book that torture for Christ and in God's underground were both really helpful books for me. Um, uh, reading some of the other stories of missionaries like Bruchko was a good book and, um, the cross and the switchblade and, and just some, some books that were biographical about what Christians had done and what they experienced and what they went through was really helpful for me to get my mind off of kind of basic American Christianity. I think, um, so those are books I think, and they're really good reads, exciting. I think for young men, they're like, Oh dude, that's crazy. That's awesome. That's interesting. They're full of intrigue and, and twists and turns and really exciting. Um, uh, I think some older books, like I think, like I said, like Lewis, some Chesterton, if you're a thinking person, I think that those are really helpful to kind of like, um, you know, kind of challenge some things. I, I, I'm, I'm being incredibly blessed right now. Um, I'm, I'm shocked cause I've actually read it before, but, um, um, by the Pilgrim's Progress, right? So it's 400 years old and that's a useful book. Um, uh, I think some of the older books, I think if, if a book is older and it's, it's, it's stood the test of time, it's probably a, probably a really good book to read. It's probably going to get something really good out of it. Um, uh, I, I, I just, uh, heard, Douglas Wilson say just the other day, he said, um, start reading books and pick with the ones that are most likely to get banned first. Um, so I thought that was that's probably a good, a pretty good piece of advice. Um, that the kinds of things that are, that go against orthodoxy right now, or that are unpopular right now, I think are, are profitable books to read. Um, and, um, and so those would be books that, that are unapologetically Christian and make much of God and glorify him. Um, I, I think a, bo a book for a thinking person um, that I would encourage them to read is, is uh, a book by Oz Guinness, who's a great author, um, but um, uh, Long Journey Home is the name of that book that I think is really good. Um, there's a couple of books, The Insanity of God, that just recently came out. It's about a missionary story about a guy who um, does mission work in Somalia, and, um, and during the the violence in Mogadishu and all that kind of stuff that I got some things out of that. So, um, then there's some other books I think. Yeah. So, I mean, I think to somebody who is eager to like press in and, and seek God, I think those are a couple of the ones that I would recommend. Thanks.
Courage. Those were all my favorite books in uh, Micah Six Eight. Yeah, those are. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm set aside. I'm rereading a few of them now. Yeah. Uh, again, but Sanity God, um, Long Journey Home, and um, uh, what was in God in God's Underground? Yeah. Yeah, and largely they're some of them are just books, like like especially those ones that are biographies. They're just stories of faithful Christians, and there's just something stirring that you can actually learn a lot. It's not even like theological explanation of things. It's just stories of what Christians did when faced with difficult circumstances. And I think those are profitable books, especially as we move forward, like to have in our back pockets and, and to kind of expect, you know, to kind of read the times. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, favorite uh, Douglas Wilson book? Um, One or two? Yeah, I would, I would c- primarily commend his blog. So, um, uh, he has a, a blog called uh, blog and may blog. It's <laughs> <That's> a great <laughs> name. And, um, uh, I've read several of his books, but a lot of his books that are the most helpful are, um, are really niche. Like he has a book called future men about raising boys. That's been really helpful to me. Um, and, um, he has a book on covenants and marriage that has been really useful to me. Um, and, uh, so he has like kind of a lot of niche books, but his blog, he covers everything and talks a lot about politics and a lot about just culture. And, and I think that's where it's been the most helpful. I would say one other thing that they have too, um, is they have a, a, uh, like a little YouTube feature called ask Doug, which people just write in and ask a question. It's like one for John Piper to ask, ask pastor John. Yeah. Those I have found really useful of just little short snippets of things that, that's really helpful and profitable um, uh, to me. So I remember when we, when me and Hannah first got married, we sat and just watched, I think probably like 50 ass Dougs in a row. And it just was like a starter conversation about like a lot of different things. Like, Oh, what do you think about that? I don't know. That seems crazy. And, and just like a jumping off point. So that's really useful. I think, I think some of the podcast stuff and some of the YouTube videos and sermons and stuff, I think I would recommend even more after what you, you know, other than what you're reading, I'll be honest. I'm super discouraged by how much guys read. Um, and I think we could sit around and lament, Oh guys, re- guys don't read enough guys don't read enough. But if I can listen to guy, listen to a podcast, um, or watch a sermon or watch a video that is profitable, I feel like I've done something, you know, I think there's, I think there's certain ideas that need book length treatments and, and you're just never going to understand it unless you're willing to read a book. And that's important. It's important to read, but a lot of guys out there could, could be a lot better off, than they are with, you know, with, um, just spending some time on YouTube or podcasting or whatever. Yeah. So when's ask Mike coming out? Ooh, that'd (laughs) be really good. Yeah. I've, I've had some good little uh, podcast ideas about a podcast, but we'll see. I'm impressed by you guys. 130 something episodes. That's that you guys are putting in work, dude. When we first started, I remember, um, before we, we before we had started, you told me you were like, you know, dude, I know a lot of guys that have started a podcast, yeah. and it lasted, you know, what you said, a couple of weeks or months, and they yeah, quit. Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of like a little challenged, like kind of like been burning in me, like ah, I don't, I don't want to just quit. Like I'm sure at some point this will, will sure. maybe stop, but um, like it's got to be purposeful and it's got to yeah, be like you don't planned. Got no, you don't have anything to prove now yeah. anymore. Well, you guys have proved you could do it. Now we're done. No, I mean, it's just if don't let my criticism keep no. you keep you at the podcast he's gonna hold that chip on his shoulder forever (laughs) it's just gonna be i mean whatever um well this has gone very long but it's good um i think we intended to spend more time on these questions but we're kind of figuring out our new format so um like we said our new kind of prompt so maybe 
we can just quickly go over these, but sure. what's like top of mind of like, what are you learning? And, um, yeah. Um, well right now, obviously I think we're, you know, coming up on a year and this whole COVID thing. And, um, I honestly, I feel like I wish I would have accomplished more, learned more, figured out more over the last year. But I think I've felt like I've just been, um, in, in judo, like part of the part of, part of the fundamentals of judo is just keep your opponent off balance. I feel like I've COVID has kept me off balance. Like I feel like we're yeah. going to restart, not start. What are mm-hmm. we going to do? So, um, so there's been some, that's been a lot of what I've been working on over the last, whatever has been challenging, trying to figure out how do we do that? One of the things that's been nice about it, it does simplify a little bit. What's essential, what's necessary, what's important. Um, what are the basics that we got to make sure those things get done? Um, so, so like our church has been open and our youth ministry has been closed. Right. And I think for, for a season, we were, we were youth ministry open and I think we're getting ready to open back up again. But, um, but that principle of like the gathering, of the church is essential. And we got to do that. Even if there's other things that we're not going to do right now, that is, is primary. Um, so that from just a, a church standpoint, um, has been what I've been working on. I think also I, I just have, I really want to help other people figure out um, how to be successful and do what they're called to do. So um, I've been working on that with meeting with guys and encouraging people and, and young guys. I, I really want to f- help young guys find some footing to figure out how to advance and move forward. Um, so I've been doing some of that um, with mentoring guys and meeting with guys and, and helping them to be successful. And, um, and then, you know, from a, f- from a family standpoint, I'm learning a ton about being a dad like I was kind of talking about earlier, it's like, um, as your kids grow, you have to grow. And so there's a lot of that going on where I got five kids and they're all different levels and places. And, and so I'm constantly being challenged to grow. And what am I thinking about them and how, how, where are they at and what needs to get worked on? How do they need to grow? So, um, that's, that's some of the things that come to mind. What about what you're studying in the Bible right now? Well, our church is going through um, one of the coolest things about the um, this break has been, um, or not break, but during COVID, is we've we started these devotionals where we're doing um, they're great kind of a supplemental devotional. So I've been doing those. So we're going through the epistles, and we're in Hebrews, and I'm going to record in a couple of days a uh, de- devotional on Hebrews 12, and then the Book of Jude, and those are wild chapters. The Book of Jude is wild <laughs> and um and so i i've just been that's primarily like my devotional reading has been along that track for almost last year of going through kind of these these together as different books of the bible it's been nice to do verse by verse too i really like that mm. kind of um consistent we're mostly taking a chapter at a time so doing a chapter a day and um, that's kind of where i've been at personally for my devotional what uh what's wild about you like what's sticking out to you oh dude um there's this part where he talks about how God hid the body of Moses. So Moses died and God didn't want them to, um, to like turn into a shrine or whatever. So God hid the body of Moses. <laughs> Dude, that's wild. <laughs> and there's also all this stuff about ancillary stuff about angels and, and this, it, it quotes the, um, the book of Enoch. Is it Enoch? I can't remember which one it was, but I think it's Enoch. And, um, and uh, talking about like angels having sex with women and God punishing them, dude. Just 
What? It's oh, like bro. all the gnarly parts. All of the, the gnarly OG. parts are all ended up in Jude. Jude was like, <laughs> let me talk about all the weird parts. He was the weirdo. The the main thing though is the the main thing of Jude is talking about I think something really important, which is kind of what one of some of the themes we've been talking about here, which is, um, you know, the the people who come in and talk like Christians but aren't, you know, and and want to be leaders and teachers in the church, but what they're actually doing is sowing dissension and hurting the church. And, um, and what should we do about that? So, um, that's been interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of touched on it. Well, may not be a lot, but what is new in with your work? Yeah, I think the, the COVID, COVID stuff yeah. has been really interesting. Um, and just trying to find, you know, it, it makes you think like, you know, uh, we've had been, had this big shutdown and we haven't been able to do things like we normally do it, which is actually maybe a little bit prescient for, I could see the possibility of things of persecution coming to a place where man, churches aren't allowed to have big buildings anymore. We're not allowed to, you know, get zoned out of all kinds of things. Like even the thing that's happened that I was saying about with all people's church of like them not being able to build their building there, them trying to get them like, mm. they're trying to pull every trick out of the book to get these guys. And they're like, you know, on all their, their stuff, they're, they're tagging, you know, Mayor Gloria and all this kind of stuff about these are, they're anti LGBT and like all this kind of stuff. Like, okay, I see what you're trying to do. And that's a pretty scary future for Bible believing Christians. And so, um, you know, what would it look like for us to do something different? You know, what would it look like for us to be, um, uh, you know, think differently about that, um, and not be able to do, you know, not be able to have a big junior high group that or not be able to meet on school campuses or not be able to do all this kind of stuff. I think it's, it might be helpful for us to to have gone through this to have a perspective on okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? Like an almost like a not an underground church, but yeah, we're not there, but like adapt. We could get there, you know. Yeah. It could be different, and, and and what is essential? What's not? You know, do I have to have a big microphone and video and all this kind of stuff, or can you know can the church do it differently? And and churches have had to do that. Cuba, that's what it's like in Cuba. Mm. You're not allowed to have big buildings with amplification, all this kind of stuff. You have to, you know, and, and churches, pastors were not allowed to, they don't get money. They don't get paid. And so I have to live differently and, and all kinds of things. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting stuff. I've, I've, I've had the thought that I think a lot of people have thought like, Oh, well, um, there's like the dark web and that's where all like the, the the drug deals go on and you know, the porn pornography or whatever. And I've had the thought like, I wonder if Christians would take over the dark web. Yeah. And I was like, just thinking about that's the, where all the Christian content goes. That's where <laughs> pastors stream from their churches. And that's like the underground online Christian movement. I was happens. just thinking I need to learn about the dark web because <laughs> uh, I could see it possibly someday. Getting there. But, but honestly, because if you think about the censorship stuff yeah. and then you think about the physical censorship in a way with getting kicked out of leases or not being able to get a building, yeah, right. not being able to meet because you're not essential and all these things. And you have to figure something out. And yeah. so, if you, even if house churches aren't a thing, um, because of whatever reason, yeah. what do you do in, you have to find a way and maybe it's, I wouldn't rule it out that it would be over the dark web. That's what's great about that. Um, uh, that book, the insanity of God is he goes around and interviews all these Christian, all these people who had been in persecuted places and just talked about how does the gospel work? Here? And they talked about going out mm-hmm. in the forest and worshiping together and like these, you know, just handful of mm-hmm. Christians figuring out how to meet up. So, you know, God is not stymied by any of this. He's not surprised by any of it. He's not caught off guard. And so we don't really have anything to worry about. Um, and, and, you know, I think we're probably, it's good. No matter what we could sit here and imagine what we think it might look like. It's going to look different than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think 
part of what's going to be cool is Christians using what God gives them to be faithful. And so, Corey, we need you to learn about the dark web. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's my mission now, dark yeah. web. Turn it to, uh, to, the, to the light side. Put some feelers out there on Twitter. Will do. Well, that was good. Thanks, Mike. This may be a record for length, I think. Zach Hayes m- might be in competition, right? Yeah. His was really I close. I don't think he hasn't beat quite yet. <laughs> but we've managed to squeeze out every bit of Mike Vanier we can get. Appreciate yeah. you coming Thank on. Thank you. Really do appreciate it. Love you guys. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening today. Uh, there are three things you can do to help us to support the podcast. One is if you want to um, drop your podcast player in of choice and leave us a review, that'd be awesome. You can do it on Apple, namely, that helps with the rankings and us to get discovered by more Christians like yourself. You can also simply share the podcast with a friend if you want to just text it to him or share it on social media. And if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and we'll see you in the next one. Mm-hmm.